Hello and welcome along to Northumberland FA podcast from the sidelines. Special guest today, uh, Dean Buckle, Head of Compliance and Inclusion at Northumberland FA. And the topic we're going to look at today is inclusion in football. Uh, hi, Dean. How are you today? Good, thanks, Gary. Not too bad. Looking forward to, to sharing a little bit of insight about what we do. Absolutely. Uh, Dean, what does your work as Head of Inclusion involve at Northumberland FA? Uh, good question. So, obviously, my my job title is is head of compliance and inclusion, and the, the compliance piece briefly um, includes all of your your safeguarding, all of your discipline. So, I line manage our designated safeguarding officer and our discipline officer. Um, but today, we're here to talk about about inclusion, um, and and the, the the part that I play in that. I think mainly, Gary, um, it's about ensuring that we try to create a, an environment where football truly is a game for all. Um, yeah. And a big part of, of my role as head of inclusion is identifying the gaps, looking at, at what gaps exist in terms of provision, um, who we who we maybe aren't catering for at the moment, um, and then looking at, at how we fill them. Um, lots of lots of networking as well. So, um, getting out and about and being really visible. Um, in terms of of communities where we want to promote that inclusion piece in particular. Um, the organisation of staff training, which I'll I'll probably um touch on throughout and and what that looks like. Um. Offering equality advice to clubs—that's uh, something that's becoming kind of more and more prominent at the moment. Yeah. Um, and then the the final thing I suppose is we we are currently at Northumberland FA working towards the foundation level of of the equality standard, um, and we hope to move through to to the preliminary level, and 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 that's kind of all work undertaken by myself. So hopefully that that summarises it. Fantastic. Thanks, Dean. Uh, since starting your role in September 2021, uh, what are you most proud of, Dean? Um, probably two two key things, I would say, Gary. Um, I touched on the, the work towards the, the equality standard there, and that's something that's really important to us as an organisation. Um, we have submitted our application for the foundation level, which I'm hoping passes really, really soon. And then we'll move on to to trying to achieve the preliminary level, um, and that's that's been something that I'm really proud of because it's been a huge piece of work from creating or, or recreating, if you like, our equality policy, um, looking at our overall inclusion piece. People may notice we've now got an inclusion section on our website, for example, and there's a, an awful lot of work goes into to making that happen and, and to creating. Um, so that's something I'm particularly proud of. And the second thing I think would probably be our visibility and our voice, if mm-hmm. you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am Northumberland FA's first head of inclusion. Um, so we're kind of at a bit of a stand and start, if you like. Um, but, you know, we, we've been <clears throat> increasingly loud, I would say, in, in the message that we're, we're sending out around inclusion and diversity. Um, really honoured recently, for example, to be invited to United with Pride's AGM. Um, we've got lots of different types of training lined up for the staff, but I think that 
that visibility piece is is key for me and it's something that I'm keen to continue growing as well. Mm -hmm. Great, yeah. And and following on from that, uh I suppose what's been the biggest frustration for you, do you know the challenge? Um biggest frustration is is pace of change, I would say. And the pace of being able to to put things in place and make things happen. So I think sometimes when you look from the, the outside in, for example, you, you might think, oh, they, you know, you know from an SA, a huge organisation, large staff numbers, um, but the reality is we're actually quite a small team. Um, and that can sometimes affect pace of, of what we're able to create and deliver, if that makes sense, Gary. Mm -hmm. um, I'm someone who wants to fix everything now. Mm -hmm. So I can see what the gaps are, I yeah. can see what we need to do, but actually some of that is kind of really, really big pieces of work. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um the you know, people often talk about the the the, the tenth protected characteristic, um, being people from like low socioeconomic areas, so people who are kind of on the brink of or in poverty at the moment and um have an idea to create a, a kit and boot recycling scheme, an idea to subsidise people's ability to play football. Um, but it's not as simple as just, all right, we'll do that. You know, you've got to you've got to kind of set it up with all of our grassroots clubs. You've got to how we're going to source the kit, who's going to um, who's going to deliver it for us. Um, what does that look like? What do the delivery points look like? How many can we realistically get? What's the demand going to be? Mm -hmm. um, so a piece of work like that, you know, you're looking at a, probably a 12-month project to be able to get something in place and deliver it. And, and that can be quite frustrating because you want to deliver it now for people. Um, and another example, I suppose, would be we one of my colleagues, Chris, had an idea about a, a sports glasses scheme. Um, which is is up and running in some of that parts of the country. So we've reached out to some opticians, for example, to say, look, can we can we set something up where if we, you know, we're pointing people in the direction of your opticians, you give them a fifty percent discount on sports glasses because they're quite expensive. And right, yeah. I think statistically, you've you've got around forty percent of kids now need to wear glasses. Um, and and sometimes you can get a bit frustrated when. Um, there's a, a slow uptake or a slow response, and especially when it's something you're so passionate about mm -hmm. yourself. So those are probably my, my two mm -hmm. big frustrations. Interesting. Well, Interesting, Dean. Uh, so moving on, um, looking at discrimination, um, what should I do uh, if I was to witness or I am a victim of discrimination in football? I think the key, the key is report it. You know, and we'll hammer home this message to everyone. Report it, report it, report it. I think there's a real issue, not just in, in football, um, in society in general, about under-reporting. Um, I joined Newcastle Council. I've got a, um, a hate, crime and community tensions monitoring group, mm -hmm. which I'm part of. Um, in Northumbria police are, are present on that as well and one of the things that the police talk about is under-reporting mm -hmm. um, it's a statistic and, and don't quote me on that but it's only on I think the 6th or 7th instance of someone being victim of a hate crime that they'll traditionally report it Right. Um, <clears throat> and, and we probably see a little bit of that in football as well so mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, I think that would be my message to to everyone. I think we we get reports through, um, and you know, this year, this season, we've had an excess of of ten. 10 reports about, about hate crimes or discriminatory abuse through. Um, they normally come from the person who's been victim of that abuse. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that I would like to see more of and encourage people to do is if you are witness to that abuse, please, please, please report it. Yeah. Because um, we can only attempt to do things when we're aware of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so that would be the, the key message, Gary. Yeah. Um... Why do you think some people seem to get away with discriminatory abuse? And what what are we doing as a county FA about that, Dean? It's it's massively frustrating, massively frustrating, and it, it links to what I've just spoken about a lot of the time. So um, <clears throat> we've we've had some feedback on occasions in the past where you know the victim of alleged abuse feels really frustrated that uh, the perpetrator has not been charged um, and it appears that we, we we haven't dealt with it or we haven't done anything about it. But any discipline function op- in, op- operates really similarly to, um, to how criminal convictions would operate, I suppose, Gary. So while the police will, will operate on um, beyond all reasonable doubt, <clears throat> we operate at the FA on the balance of probability um the balance of probability is often hard to prove when there's witnesses who aren't prepared to come forward mm-hmm. um it can be hard to prove when it's not mentioned in the referee's report for yeah. example yeah. um and i think sometimes what we see is we see a report coming in from a, a alleged victim of discrimination and then a denial um, from the perpetrator. And often that denial will be backed up by other denials as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a key a key, key frustration and a key thing for, for the grassroots community to really reflect on. Because if you've bore witness to, to discriminatory abuse, my message would be, please do support the victim. Please put in witness statements because... We want to stamp hatred out of the game. We want to stamp discrimination out of the game. But we do need the support of players and coaches mm. and referees to be able to do that. Um, so please, 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 you know, those witness reports are so important. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, pe- people generally don't make it up. People generally don't make up the fact that they've maybe been a, a victim of discriminatory mm. abuse. And I think when there's there's a lack of of witness support or there's a lack of people willing to step forward and say, yeah, look, this is what I heard, what you end up with is is Northumberland FA really frustrated because our hands are tied in terms of, of the charge in the same way that, that the police's hands would be tied yeah, um, because it has to be proven. Um, but more importantly, you end up with a victim who feels like nothing's been done about it and that they've not been supported, and that's something we really kind of mm. need to step away from. But as I say, Gary, I can't stress enough that we, we need witnesses to step forward and, and provide reports in exactly the same way the law would, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's a difficult one, that, Dean, isn't it? We want everyone to enjoy our, our beautiful game um, and 
cut out as much as that as as possible out of Definitely. it, don't we? Definitely. Um, moving on then, Dean. What is the equality standard, and and why why are Northumberland FA trying to achieve this? You mentioned it earlier in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So the equality <clears throat> standard um, is basically a, a framework for sport to address inequality. Essentially, mm-hmm. um, there are four levels to it. Um, and we're at the beginning of that. Um, so we are currently trying to achieve the foundation standard. And as I mentioned, we'll, we'll be moving into the, the preliminary standard. And I think, you know, if we get back to why would we want to achieve it? So I'll just repeat that it's a framework for sport to help in address inequality. So I, my question would be, why wouldn't we want to achieve it? You know, why wouldn't we want to look at um, all of the inequalities that exist and, and try and tackle them and try and, and fill those gaps and, and create a, a grassroots football community that is equal and that provides equal opportunity for everyone. And I think as the governing body, we have a responsibility um, to lead from the front with that and, and to really kind of bang the drum and say, you know, actually... This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing as, as Northumberland FA. Come with us. Yeah. As opposed to saying to people, you know, oh, <clears throat> this is really, really important. You need to do X, Y, and Z. People can look in and say, oh, but, but what are you doing? Um, so I, I think that's a key thing for me, Gary. So one of the, the main reasons that we're, we're pursuing it is because we do want to be leaders. We want to be... Uh, seen as experts in that field, and and to do that, we need to go through through this framework to to be credible, I suppose. Mm. You know, do you want to talk about diversity? How diverse is Northumberland FA? It's a good question, um, and it's one <laughs> I can answer. <laughs> um, we recently conducted a, an equality audit um, of our staff, our board, our council. Um, and it identified that in in some areas we have we have broad diversity. So if you think about um, if you think about age, for example, we have a broad range of ages, ranging from eighteen to seventy five plus, who are part of that group that I mentioned. Um, <clears throat> we we have some you know some quite high numbers across. Other protected characteristics, um, including kind of long-term health conditions, believe it or not. Um, about 43% of the, the staff board and council um, have got, have got a, a long-term health condition, which is quite significantly above the national average. Um, but what it did identify is that there are gaps in, in other areas. Um, you know, for example, 97% of our staff, board and council identify as white British, um, which is out of out of sync with with other workplaces in the region. It's out of sync with, with Newcastle um, council area um, and it's out of sync um, quite significantly with national statistics. Um, you know, and I, I think there is, there, there is definitely work that we need to do to to understand why that's the case and to make sure that future recruitment um 
future recruitment, for example, is advertised in the right places, you know, and we're, mm-hmm. we're communicating the right messages. And I really hope that the equality standard supports that. Um, but there are, you know, there, there are there are some kind of some statistics where, you know, if you if you look at it as a raw statistic, so to speak, we've got forty percent female representation on the board. Um, that's good, you know. Yeah. In our grassroots strategy, we we've stated that we want to have um, a minimum of thirty percent female representation. So at the minute, we're operating mm. above that, um, and that's important. But if I then looks at the staffing team, that figure drops down to twenty three percent of the staffing team are female. Um, so again, it's it's really important that we understand those numbers and that data, but more importantly, um, what do we do with it? Yeah. Where do we go from there? How does it affect our future recruitment? Um, how does it affect training that we deliver to the staff and, and so on and so mm. forth? Yeah, Dean, you recently uh, released an equality survey to be completed by referees, coaches and players. Why is that? Yeah, so, you know, I've touched on on inequalities and addressing inequalities and you know if if I'm if I'm being really reflective the question that I would ask myself is how can we address inequalities and gaps without properly understanding what those inequalities and gaps are um you know for example the the audit might tell us that we have one female referee across, um, you know, above the age of 18 across Northumberland County area. It might tell us that we have um, we have no Muslim referees, for example. It might tell us that we have no referees with a long-term health condition, um, no coaches, no players, whatever it might be. We, and, and it's really important that we understand what that demographic looks like um because without that understanding without that data we can't explore why so we we collate all of the data gary it comes in and it says you know you, you've got i don't know two percent female coaches across grassroots football the next question always has to be why so why is that the case um is it because it's not a welcoming environment. Is it because we're not having the right conversations with the right people? Is it is it to do with role models? Um, what's the story behind that data? And I think we're really keen to explore those stories because that's what's going to help us create the provision, create the support, um, create the networks that need to be created, but can't do that without mm. the data. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd really kind of ask any any um adult players, um, coaches, referees who who listen to the podcast just to say, you know, if we all want to address inequality in the game, we all want to to make it truly a game for all and kinda of need your help with it. Mm. We need your help with it because we, we need to understand what our demographic makeup is so then we can start to understand the why, which is going to allow us to then, you know, to then adjust our provision, if you like, and, yeah. and focus where we need to focus. Yeah, great. Uh, Dean, tell me about equality charter clubs. Yeah, uh, really topical actually, because I'm about to send something out to our clubs this week. Um, there, there's also the opportunity for 
for leagues to apply to become a quality charter leagues as well. So we'll be communicating out with the leagues. And this is a, a programme run by Kick It Out. Um, and it's basically providing an opportunity for clubs to show their commitment to inclusion um, to demonstrate how they are a welcoming and an inclusive club for all, I suppose, Gary. And um, <clears throat> what the clubs will, will do, the, you know, the members from the clubs will need to attend a workshop delivered by Kick It Out. Uh, they'll be given support to develop an equality policy um, and they'll be given lots of advice and support around the the whole inclusion piece. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a, a real opportunity for clubs to reflect on um, where they're at. Similarly to what we've just done, I suppose, as a, as a workforce, Gary. Yeah. Uh, reflect on where you're at, what gaps exist. Um, what your provision looks like across all of the protected characteristics and then think about, right, what do we need to do to to address that? Um, but yeah, quite excited with that and, you know, kick it out or, again, a, another organisation who are really, really kind of banging the drum um, yeah. uh, around the inclusion piece and I'd, I'd be really hopeful that the, the vast majority, if not all of our clubs, put a hand up there to sign up for yeah, it. Yeah, good, good stuff. What would you say is the most difficult part of your work in equality? Uh, probably very similar to, to some of the frustrations I shared earlier, Gary, and I, I think it's just accepting that you can't do everything mm. now. You know, you need to have short, short-term, long-term, medium-term plans. Um, typically... The longer-term plans are your bigger plans. So they're the things that are going to have a bigger impact on the communities that they're delivered in. Um, so, you know, if I talk about the, the recycling scheme, the kit and boot recycling scheme, um, that's, that's a huge piece of work. And if we're able to get it right with the right stakeholders, the right partners, um, get all of the clubs involved, it could genuinely change the lives of of you know of, of many of the children who at the moment are excluded from mm-hmm. our game. Um, you know, if 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 you think about um, people on the you know on the brink of poverty or, or in poverty, for example, Gary, you know, you've got three kids, for example. Um, you're looking at what twenty pound a month subs for each child to go and play a football. That's sixty pound a month. That's before you've even considered boots, training kit, shin pads. Um, boots wear out, don't they? Uh, there's lots of football playing on 4G as well now, so it's not just a case of having your traditional studs. We, we need mouldies as well. Before you know it, you've racked up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds, and a lot of a lot of families don't have that that cash at hand. Um, and and that scheme, that scheme, for example, is. I think it's going to make a, a huge amount of difference to to our region, um, but it's going to take time to set it up correctly, and it's going to take time to deliver it. And I, I think that's you know something that can I can find quite difficult. But you know accepting that you can't do everything now is mm. you know it's it's the unfortunate reality of anything, isn't it? If you want yeah. to deliver something really effectively. Um, You've got to do it right. Mm-hmm. You've got to do it right because I want it to be a scheme that kind of goes on forever. Do you know what I mean? A, yeah. a scheme that 
kids can benefit from for years and years to come. Um, and not just kids as well. So, you know, we're talking about coaches, we're talking about referees, um, you know, people people who <clears throat> maybe just want to get out there, do some refereeing to build their CV, got to pay the course fees, got to get yeah. the kid. Yeah. You know, you've got to buy your whistles, etc. And yeah. if we can create a scheme that alleviates that and that takes that kind of financial burden and pressure away from people and allows them the opportunity to participate, then it'll be worth the wait. Be worth the wait. Yeah, great bit of work that Dean uh, with the way everything is in the world right right mm-hmm. now and only gonna get worse by the sounds of yeah. it. So yeah. Uh hopefully that'll benefit uh lots of people in the county. Um <clears throat> How do you ensure that the NFA has the expertise to consider equality, diversity, and inclusion matters? Um, few few ways, Gary. Few ways. So, firstly, you know that equality audit was really, really important because what it did was it identified some potential knowledge gaps or lived experience gaps within the staffing team and the staffing group. And then we can start to fill them, you know. So, for example, we, we've had some some anti-racism training delivered to the staff and team from, from Kick It Out. Um, we have had um, LGBTQI plus awareness training delivered um, by uh, the, the chairman or co-chairman, Ian, from, from United with Pride, um, which is really, really powerful session, really, really powerful session. And... Um, help to to upskill that knowledge from the the staffing team so that's one one thing we do and one thing we'll continue to do is is reflect on where our potential knowledge gaps are and then and then fill them accordingly with the right expertise if you like um <clears throat> we also have an inclusion advisory group uh Northumberland FA who meets bi-monthly um and that is made up from a, a really diverse group of people and they're all external to Northumberland FA. So we've got various expertise in the room um, and we meet, meet bi-monthly to, um, to explore what we could do as a group to influence that equality piece. Um, there's a bit of a, a challenge in there, if you like, as well, you know, in terms of that, that check and test piece. So we might think we're doing something brilliant or about to deliver a piece of work and actually through the various expertise in the room, uh, we've got the opportunity to explore is that going to be delivered in the right way? Um, have we thought about this, for example? Have you considered the impact on on this group of people? Um, that's a really, really important group, a really important group that influences a lot of our inclusion work. Um, and then finally, Gary, just, just beyond self-development, I suppose, my own CPD, um, continually um, upskilling and, and, and developing my own kind of knowledge and expertise so that I can then share that with the, the staffing team. Great, Dean. Dean, what is the 10th protected characteristic and what plans do you have to support these people? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to answer this one in, in an awful lot of depth Gary because I, I've touched on it I suppose throughout um, but you know the, the 10th protected characteristic if you like 
um, is around that that social class and that that low socioeconomic um, group of individuals. And typically, you know, as I say, it's people on a on a really low low income, people who are on the brink of or in poverty. Um, and you know, I, I've spoke quite a bit about the, the recycling scheme, but one of the other things we're kind of looking at doing as well, Gary, and it, it, it you know, it's statistically, for example, um, your refugees and your asylum seekers um, will statistically um, have those those same financial challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm currently working with a, a couple of a couple of groups. Um, in terms of of how we support those people and how we provide access to football and access to organised football for for those groups of people as well. Um, so yeah, that, that, that that's some mm-hmm. of the stuff I suppose that we've we've got going on around that. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, why is visibility and allyship important, Dean? It's really important. <clears throat> really, really important. Um, I think mainly, Gary, because it demonstrates that support and that commitment to inclusion um, and hopefully influences change and, and acceptance, you know. Um, we, the, the, the training I mentioned earlier from, uh, that was delivered by, by Ian from, uh, from United with Pride, he had, a, he had a statistic within it that that's... Um, you know, it's it's made me think quite a bit about the importance of allyship, and and that statistic was that an LGBTQI plus youth who has a role model is forty percent less likely to attempt suicide. Um, and as we know, suicide is the biggest killer of men under the age of fifty. And you know, I I think it highlights the importance of of having those role models of, mm. of being allies and yeah. you know for example something doing something as simple as putting your pronouns on your your email um we we deliver out with thousands and thousands of people on a on a monthly basis you know um and i think again statistically don't don't quote us on this but statistically um around around 1 in 130, 140 um, people will be in a position where they, um, they're not sure in terms of that that you know that, that gender piece, if you mm. like, so um, you know, gender neutrality, for example. Um, and just by putting your pronouns on your email, that might strike a chord with someone and say, actually, do you know what? There's an ally there. There's someone that, um, someone that gets it. Someone that understands to an extent, um, and I, I just think it's mm-hmm. it's so important. Mm-hmm. And you know, without meaning to go on go on too much, you know, if I think about myself, Gary. So, um, and this is a, a bit of a loose link, I suppose. But I found out when I was 24 that I had psoriatic arthritis um, in in all of my joints and. You know, a little bit of a, a little bit of a panic at first in terms of what does that, what does that mean? What does that, what does that mean for my, my future in terms of my mobility? Um, and I remember one of the first things that I did was I got onto the internet to see who else had it, who else had it, mm-hmm. um, 
And I remember feeling a little bit reassured when I found that Phil Mickelson's got the the golfer Phil Mickelson's yeah. got the exact same top level elite sportsman, mm-hmm. um, still playing now into his later life, um, in terms of his sporting days anyway. Um, and I remember feeling a little bit of comfort, a little bit of, um, you know, that reassurance piece around, right? Okay, so you can still do this. You yeah. can still do that. And think that's why your allyship so important because you know in that moment he became a role model to me in that moment in terms of I felt a connection that was someone that I could aspire to yeah um and that that's really really important really really important yeah Dean what what's your ultimate dream for equality in grassroots football do you think uh great question really good question Gary um I think my ultimate dream would be that everyone, um, and I mean everyone, no matter your age, disability, race, religion, sex, gender, or anything at all that differentiates us, um, doesn't create inequality so that everyone has an equal opportunity to play the game. Um, massive, massive advocate about the difference football can make in people's lives and the skills that it teaches you, you know, and the the teamwork, the the learning to accept defeat and the way it builds resilience and all that character building piece. Mm-hmm. And um I I have a big dream that nobody is prevented from that opportunity, Gary, and yeah. And that, that that's the the ultimate I suppose mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And finally, Dean, any top tips for individuals or clubs? Uh who want to do more for inclusion? Big big tip would be just start, you know. So yeah. reflect on on where you're at, and and make sure that that reflection's honest, you know, and make sure that it's a real honest reflection of where you currently stand at this time, and then then do your research, learn what you need to learn, um, but start, you know, start mm-hmm. reflect on it, and start reflect on where you currently sit as an organisation, as an individual, as a, as a grassroots club or a league or whoever it might be, what does your diversity look like? You know, What do you do around inclusion? It might be you're doing loads and you're doing great. Um, I'd argue there's always room for improvement. But the key for me would be, you know, just just get started. Don't be, don't be scared to speak up. Ask questions. You know, if you're not sure of something, don't be scared to ask the question. Just ask the question. Um, but you know, for me, just just really commit to it. Really commit to making a difference in that equality, diversity, and inclusion space, and and that that would make a a, a huge difference. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. huge difference, Gary. Dean, many thanks to Dia for sharing your knowledge and expertise around this vitally important topic. And um, hopefully, we'll speak again soon. Thanks for your time, Gary. Appreciate it. <laughs>